Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsuk, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? The Pacific Northwest is in the midst of a major heat wave, um, which has been really unpleasant because this is an area that doesn't believe in air conditioning and hasn't had a reason to, admittedly. But yeah, so it's been like 80, high 80s for me pretty much since Wednesday. That's fun. And yeah, it's it's the opposite of fun. And it's going to continue like this for like the next week. And like piling on is the fact that, and I did not know this until this week, is that uh, Canada, particularly like the British Columbia area, has been having major wildfires. They've had like nine, almost 900 wildfires since like April or May, which is insane. Um, it's also because it hasn't been raining. Um, so we're getting all the smoke has been billowing down all the way to like even Tacoma. Um, and it's just like, I can't leave the windows open at night because all I smell is smoke. <laughs> so <laughs> an inconvenient sequel out in theaters, uh, this weekend. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause Noel, Noel, do you know what temperature it was this morning when I woke up in Chicago? No, I don't, I don't keep tabs on your weather, but maybe I should start. What, uh, how cold? It, how it was chill 59 was it? degrees. Oh, I hate you so much. Right in now. August. Oh, that sounds amazing. In Chicago. That sounds great. Yeah, oh. but that's not normal. It's very strange. It's very, yeah, very but... strange to wake up and be like, I need a blanket on. In yeah. August, in Chicago. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gosh, I needed a blanket. Yeah, no, I feel you. Thanks feel for rubbing that in my face, Kate. Well, and uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a day for really unfortunate uh, news. It, less so than fires, obviously across Canada. Do not get me wrong here. Um, I but I saw on Twitter was it today or yesterday? Because uh, TCAs are going, and we have mostly yep. avoided discussing them on, on the podcast here because we don't care that much. Um, but um, the, the it was at TCAs, right? That the news came out that uh, Erica uh, Tazel um, Tazel um, is be- not coming back for the second season of The Good Fight as a regular. Is that 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 was at TCAs, right? Right. She'll appear in future episodes, maybe, <laughs> is what they were saying. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little weird. It's a little weird and kind of terrible because um, she's 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 really good. And I was looking forward to season two being like, here's everything you want to know about Barbara Kolstad. And now they're just like, no, we're going to bring in um, Audrey McDonald, who is wonderful. Do not get me wrong. And was great when she showed up in season four mm-hmm. of The Good Wife as um, Don't Worry Lindo's character's ex-wife. Uh, and um, but yeah, I just kind of went, oh, well, this is sad. And I, it's not even offset by the fact that Michael Boat, Boatman and um, the fellow who plays the infirm investigator both got up to regulars. I just kind of went, but I, I wanted more Rachel on my television. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I thought it was interesting that you said that it was like surprising or you know, that kind of thing. Because I was so not surprised based yeah. on how they completely ignored her character in the first season, gave her almost nothing to do. I was like, this is, this is justified, Mark, too. Give this woman something to do. I was so encouraged by her uh, presence and like the setup of the first season. And then they did almost nothing with that character. So it was sort of like, like you were saying, waiting for them to finally use her in season two. Nope. 
apparently not. Um, and I, I had not heard that Audra McDonald was coming on. Um, she's wonderful. Yeah. That's interesting. But it's like, if you, the issue here is not the actor. So right. the issue is uninspired writers, um, meaning they're not inspired by that character and they haven't come up with something that they want to use her for. And, um, you know, hopefully what they do come up with will be interesting and will be, will be great. Uh, there's stuff about the first season that we both really liked. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's very frustrating to watch this spiritual successor to the good wife also not know how to write or use women of color. Um, so hopefully that changes with the Audrey McDonald character, but that's certainly, I mean, I would be very surprised. I hope to be wrong about that. Yeah, I have to be wrong about that, too, but it just feels weirdly par for the course for CBS this week. Um, like, they announced that they were going to kill off Aaron Hayes' character and Kevin Can Wait so that they could bring back Leah Remini. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had announced that uh, Hayes wasn't coming back in June, but then this week they announced, oh, yeah, we just kill- we're just going to kill off that character so Leah Remini can come back full time. And it just went, okay, that, that seems like <laughs> a terrific choice, and okay. And then they got um, the CBS execs got shellacked um, by critics for their diversity issues, including the fact that they didn't greenlight a single pilot with a female lead. They got hit over the head for um, the contract negotiations that resulted in Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park leaving um, Hawaii Five O because they weren't getting um, equitable pay for uh, that McLaughlin and Khan were getting. And so it's just like, ah, this is really good, guys. Good job. Good job. Way to go. Yeah, I, I was seeing on Twitter when some of this discussion was going on, um, Yvette Nicole Brown talking about, she had some tweet about how she, one time she discovered that a show that she was a regular on, she was making just barely over what a white male guest star would get oh. on that show. Yeah, exactly. And and th- the most hilarious in a, a horrible way, response responses were the like the the people were trying to be like well but like who was the guest star maybe they're a really big deal maybe they're really famous you know and i was like you guys oh. don't you don't understand one not how it works. point yeah and two of the shows that she's been on that that could happen recently one of those was community and they couldn't really afford that many guest stars and the other one was the odd couple mm-hmm. and no, you should not be paying a lot more on the odd couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, I, I appreciated seeing a, a little uh, shade thrown, or that's not specific enough, a little justifiable, harsh criticism thrown CBS's way for, for that, especially the, the, the Hawaii Five O thing. I mean, come on, guys. Like, apparently, um, Hawaii has a majority minority. Yeah. population and and if, if, when i think of the cast of hawaii 50 the people i would be tuning in to watch would be grace park and daniel day kim certainly not the other two even though they're i guess the leads isn't one they of them are. like barely on it now uh that i don't have an answer to um i had heard I... that one of the he was a regular but he was only on like every other episode or something but no, I, that, I that may not be the that. case i can't speak to that but anyways it just after a show's been on the air that long, you you do right by your cast and their CBS. They definitely have the money. So yeah. Anyways, um, we're getting distracted here, Noel, by <laughs> yelling at CBS. 
Um, we should get into our week in TV because there is we watched a lot of TV this week. We're only talking about a handful of shows, but we watched a lot of TV. There's a lot of TV to discuss. Um, at the end of the show, we wanted to take advantage of what we thought would be a slower week until uh-huh. we noticed all the premieres uh, to catch up on a couple shows that people have been uh, talking about a while for a while in our feeds, and specifically one of the shows <laughs> one of our listeners. Has been talking about for a long time. So it's we, your day, Carl. Carl, it's your day. this one's for you, but you might not like the segment. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, so we're going to be talking about the first seasons of The Detectorists, which is a six-episode six uh, season. Um, that That's available on Netflix, yes? Um, I watched it on Amazon. Oh, it's on Prime. Amazon Prime. My um, bad. But it, I think it's also on Netflix. Okay. Um, at least the first season is on Netflix, I think. It's, but both seasons are on Amazon Prime. It's available on a streaming thing that I have access to. <laughs> There's right. only a few options. Mm-hmm. And then also season one of Killjoys as well, which has been getting a lot of uh, love on Twitter right now. So we thought we'd do a summer catch-up on the first season of those shows and see if, we, if we're if we on the, the train or if uh, maybe we are a little puzzled. So more on that at the end of the episode. But for now, no, let's take a break. Listen to a little, a, a, a little um, interest, uh, racist music man <laughs> and come back with our week in comedy and reality. Why, Chris Kobach, you old flim flam man. What are you doing here in Becky City? Well, I heard your town's chock full of immigrants. Heavens, you're right. Uh, so what? <laughs> I'll tell you so what. Well, you're in a pickle, little town. Immigrants, I say, right here in Becky City. Why, they're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're bringing tacos. Not tacos. Oh, yeah, a taco truck on every corner. Next thing, your kids are dropping words like gracias and pato. That means duck. Oh, so- way to come here from Europe before World War II, but don't worry, I have a solution. A cool new law provided by me for a modest fee, banning those illegals permanently. Well, cool. I guess that's all solved then. Is it though? Thanks, Mr. Kovac. <laughs> Becky City was my town. They suspect me because I'm brown. We used to live in harmony and I... No, this story's about me! That was the racist music man, uh, or part of it, uh, the song, musical number that they did on uh, Full Front of Sam B this week. I, I mean, I'm always going to enjoy a music man number, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think it's possible not to enjoy a good mu- music man route. Uh, I cannot talk today. So this is great for a podcast in which I have to talk. How can you not enjoy a good music man riff? There you go. There. Okay. Nailed it in two. In two. There we are. And that's all staying in. We're rolling over to uh, our week in comedy and reality. Um, so first up, we're going to talk a bit about the Low Files premiere. That's right. We watched a reality show about Rob Lowe and his kids ghost hunting. Um, I only have watched hunting. it. Sure. It's uh, called Haunted Boys Reformatory. More on that in a moment. Uh, Noel is going to catch us up with The Guest Book, which had a two-episode premiere on TBS, Story 1 and Story 2. I'll talk a bit about the return of Rick and Morty, Rick Mansing the Stone, and we'll wrap up the the segment with Younger, A Close Shave. So first up, we have many feels. So many feels by listeners. I can't even tell you how excited I am to talk, talk about Younger this week. But first up is The Low Files. Um, the most entertaining part of this one for me um was just the trip to the donut store (laughs) (laughs) 
which is just bizarre because he's ragging on the donut selection. <laughs> and then at the weird. end of the episode, you find out that he was there at 2 p.m. It's like, why would you expect him to have donuts right. at, 2 at 2 p.m.? PM. Come right. on. like Yeah. But I love that they included that segment right at the end. <laughs> okay. Well, for people who don't know what this is, because right. I didn't know what this was until I listened to this week's episode of Extra Hot Great, which is a fabulous TV podcast over from Previously.TV. Friend of the show, Sarity Bunting, is on that one, of course. Um, I was listening to them talk about it. I was like, who would actually watch this? And then you said, me, and, and you should watch it. And I was like, ah, curses. Okay, I guess that I will watch it. Um, so this is not a Kate show. No. Okay. I don't care about ghost busting or ghost hunting or, or, or spikes on EMF readers or cold spots or oh. I don't, or yes, <laughs> things that only sound like words when you've, if you've read the subtitle before the audio comes over, which I hope you noticed that the words came on screen a second, like a split second before the sound did so that you would interpret it that way. Kitchen. I, I don't care about any of this uh, unless it's like part of a carry on my wayward son montage with Supernatural. So um, I love the oyster cut for the opening. Right? That was a very specific <laughs> choice. I don't think that was an accident. They no, wanted to not. get you in that Supernatural headspace. Um, so, no, what? What made you decide, you know what, I think I want to watch? Because this was not on our original list. Like, we weren't no, originally planning to do this. Why were you like, I think I'll seek out the low files. Is this, like, low-key one of, like, your types of shows that I don't know about? Do you have a secret, like, like love for paranormal hunting shows? No, not at all. In fact, I've barely watched any in my entire life. Um, no, what spurred this on was the fact that um, Caitlin Thomas over TVGuide.com was talking about it because uh, they had sent out the first episode and Amy had. And she was just like talking about it constantly because she was very tickled by it. She watches a lot of the paranormal investigative shows. Um, so she was enjoying this, I think, a bit more than i did i thought it was fine i thought it was fun and it's a very weird sort of vanity project for low um because it's just like hey me and my two sons we used to like go hunting for bigfoot when they were kids so now we're gonna get paid to do it and have some fun along the way and also hang out at local donut shops and it's just like it's so weird and but also just like the casual mention of we don't get to hang out a whole lot since i've been doing parks and oh rec and the grinder and code black and i just went rob two of those shows nobody's probably heard of <laughs> <laughs> like we watch some of them but that's because we have a podcast and i really right. like the grinder but yeah. um yeah nobody else did yeah the, that dialogue i was like okay <laughs> rob Lowe, you're a better actor than this you can you can try a little harder <laughs> to yeah, yeah. make some of this seem off the go. You know, since you've been away at this school and you have been right. away at this school and I have been away doing this other thing, that's why we this is a natural conversation. I did think that the kids were a little bit more natural though, um, because I love the, John Owen so much. <laughs> there do, there did seem like a, a fairly legit amount of dad, yeah. um, and that's that was appropriate. Right. I like their whole, no, we don't want to talk about clutches. 
because both of our girlfriends are going to watch this later. <laughs> we're and not we don't want to get in trouble. We're not idiots. Mom's in this for the long haul, as you've noted, so we're not idiots. No, <laughs> it's just a weird, silly show of them sort of scaring themselves, responding to lights lighting up, just like if you've ever seen a single paranormal investigative show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it has a really easy sort of like chemistry, I think, because of the fact that they're family. As soon as they're on-call shaman that they met in Big Sur, which is just the most Hollywood thing I've ever heard is we have an on-call shaman that my wife has the phone number for that she can text at any time Mm -hmm. um, that we met at Big Sur once. And it's just like, this is ridiculous. Um, But it's it's just silly. And so I may watch, I I think what's going to happen is that I'm going to watch more episodes of this, but I'm only going to pick the episodes that they, when they cover something I'm even passingly interested in. Um, But it, it seems fun. And I think like the, big part I really enjoyed was when uh, Lo and his son were sitting in an area that they had noticed some particular spikes in ghost stuff. And you can just kind of tell Rob Lowe's having a really good time hanging out with his kid in this weird environment. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went, this is, this is a nice little show for just this moment. Everything else about, did you see that ball roll by yourself? You didn't touch it, right? No, I didn't touch it. And it's just like, guys, it's a ball. On a wooden floor it's in a drafty possible. reformatory. The Come floor's on, not kids. level. You know, like, right. It's an old wood floor that probably hasn't been refinished in a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, this, okay. This is an hour-long show. Right. It doesn't need to be an hour. It's too much. Like, and, and again, if you like this genre of show, this might be your thing. For me, yeah. it was like I... I can I enjoyed some of those little moments like you're saying like I I get why other people like the shows but these types of shows and this show specifically but I needed to be five minutes and then I could, then I could watch it like I, I did enjoy at the end the, because you get the strong sense of the kids are like wait you're gonna pay pay us to just hang out with our idiot dad. <laughs> Okay, sure. Ooh, ghosts. Uh, let's see if they're there. Like, at the end, when they were kind of going over everything that happened, and they're like, well, I expected nothing to happen. Yeah. So when almost nothing happened, I guess I was pretty surprised. Like, that, that, <laughs> little things like that are fun. But for me, yeah. again, why would you watch this unless you're a huge Rob Lowe fan? Why would you watch this when you could just watch Supernatural, which is yeah. funnier? And more interesting. And there, there are actual ghosts. And then they, they cut off things' heads and there's they do the salt rings. And, like, come on. And better music. So just watch Supernatural is my two cents. But that's a very, very different show. I should yeah. not be dismissive. I do not want to yuck others' yums. Anyways, um, let's move on, though. Unless you have, you yeah. have more to nope. opine on about the low files. Um, guest... Guestbook is um, the latest comedy from TBS. I had no idea this was coming. Had you heard about this? Yeah, well, that's because I, you know, still see the ads, saw ah. the ads for it during um, Wrecked and, um, well, Wrecked in particular, but also um, what you call it, People of Earth. Okay. Well, this so, is story yeah. one and story two. So I know nothing about this. It's other okay. than it's obviously it's a hotel. I've seen like one or two ads. Is this a continuing story or is these like standalones within like room 104? style 
Right. It's sort of a weird situation in which, so what it is, is uh, guests come to this cottage up in like a mountain resort town type of thing. But it's a really rundown mountain resort town in which there's just a very sad strip club um, and a couple of other things like the nearest Bed Bath & Beyond is an hour away. Um, and so we get each guest's story, but then there's also like a group of regular slash recurring characters and we kind of track their stories as well and how they sort of occasionally intersect with the guests of the week. Um, and it's sort of a weird thing because based on the first episode, which has, um, um, a frustrated husband, um, and his equally frustrated wife, played by Danny Pudi, and uh, Lauren uh, Lapkus. Lapkus? Lapkus, yeah. Um, that the regulars and recurrings aren't very present in that one, to the extent that you're just like, oh, they popped up in episode two. That's a little weird mm -hmm. um, type of thing. So this is from Greg Garcia, who did My Name is Earl and Raising Hope. And like both of those shows, I feel like this is going to take a little while to get going and to sort of find its groove, as it were. But this is just weirdly sort of like the flattest of this uh, TBS comedy so far for me. Um, there's not like a great deal of it's it's got that same sort of like laid back comedy vibe. And but I, I it was based on their program development up to this point. I was expecting something a bit sharper, I guess. And so there's a couple of laughs to be had um, in the first episode. The second episode is not particularly funny at all, which has Stucker Channing um, really frustrated that her son is about to marry an atheist. So she and her husband drug the woman and then baptize her in a hot tub. But then her leg gets infected from the shot in the hot tub. And yeah, mm -hmm. Kate's making a face, everyone. And that's the correct face to make. <laughs> but And so there's like this weird turn where like Stalker Channing characters has sort of a leave Jesus moment because the atheist has a come to Jesus moment mm -hmm. and gets rewarded by getting to keep her leg. And Stalker Channing's just like, I've given 63 years of my life and I haven't gotten anything. And so there's like this little religious parallel thing, but it doesn't really quite land very well. And also I sort of side-eyed the whole the atheist has a semi about to lose her leg conversion type of thing mm -hmm. as an atheist. I just kind of went, uh, type of thing. <laughs> and this, even in service of like the stalker Channing character becoming a non-believer, I just kind of went, this is weird. And yeah, so it's just a really weird show. I'm not sure if I'm going to watch any more of this, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. Yeah. That's, that's too bad because there's so much potential from like in the style of something like wrecked, yeah. Or something like this. I mean, there's so, how many really terrific hotel sitcoms can you just like name off at the top of your head? Because I got five with barely thinking. So like, there's a lot that is they... one of them. The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Obviously, actually, I haven't yeah. seen it. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's don't they end up on a yacht? Isn't there like a spinoff season where they're like on a yacht in? So it's like at Sweet Life at Sea or something. Yes. See, I know things. I know things that no one should know. Anyways, um, yeah, so that's that's a little disappointing, certainly, as they've had such a strong track record so far. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I do plan to check this one out. And yeah, let me know, please. I'll stick with it for a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's certainly not a, a the, the, the strong, encouraging at a, at, at a show, you know, I was hoping to hear 
about this one. Um, well, let's let's move on to the next one, though. Next episode, though, and that's Rick and Morty. Rick Mansing the Stone. Uh, obviously, we talked about when they came back for the season one, the season three premiere. Because uh, <laughs> so Mel was very upset <laughs> they preempted Samurai Jack. Um, but uh, I did not. Again, I did, wasn't aware that it was coming back until like right before it did. This episode picks up where the previous one had left off with the parents divorcing and then the kids um are responding in various ways to their parents you know separating um and rick is very excited to take advantage of this to go off on adventures and uh you know leave uh leave uh the domestic drama behind um i thought this was a really great way to look at how how Summer and Morty are responding to the parents' you know uh, relationship crumbling, and uh, I thought it was one of the more entertaining versions of that that I've seen. Obviously, something that's you know sci-fi kind of genre spoof. You're going to get a lot more opportunity to have uh, discussions, like very heightened interpretations of these kinds of uh, discussions uh, over like anger at the dad for, for leaving or not making it work and, and then frustration at mom and these, all these different things. And yeah, I thought that they, they did it very well. Um, it, it, what I think is important when you're trying to do that. And this is something that we'll, I'm sure talk about maybe a little bit with Winona Earp. It's important for the stakes of the emotional parallel to your supernatural situation to be equal and I think your parents getting divorced fits very nicely with post-apocalyptic wasteland in the style of Mad Max. As a child of divorce, I can attest to that. There you go. <laughs> um, and so having um, having Summer just like end up where that the story takes her, I thought was just absolutely hilarious and brilliant. And then then Morty getting like a possessed arm that just kill, is killing people in the Thunderdome. Um, or the uh, copyright distinct Thunderdome, whatever they call it. Um, I thought that that was just a really, really fun way to to go with it. So I would, um, I know Rick and Morty isn't your thing, but I would encourage you to check it out if you're curious, Noel, uh, because I thought that was a really, you know, as as I, my old family, extended family, there's like two people who are divorced. So uh, I don't have much experience in that kind of, um, that kind of emotional uh, development, especially for kids, but it seemed like it's it rang true and it was super funny. So um, I would be curious your thoughts on it if you do get the opportunity to to watch it. If you have some time where you're not watching, you know, <laughs> low files other things or right. like entire seasons of television shows, like we're gonna get to at the, in the end of the podcast today. Um, but I, I want to move on. Um, I other than, again, very strong premiere. I was a little concerned after what I was hearing about Rick and, this next coming season of Rick and Morty, but this I thought the balance was really great. So, what was the concern about? Oh, just that it's going to be more towards the season one approach, which was not something I was excited to hear because the approach in season one had really turned me off the show because it was such a destructive relationship and abusive oh, right, relationship right, right, right. with Rick and with yeah. Rick and Morty. Um, right. And so I was worried when they say they're going back to more that season one approach that it would be too far and I would again be turned off of the show, but Morty's in a very different place. So I thought that, you know, Rick is the right amount of, 
uh, in it for himself and total manipulative bastard um, to feel true to Rick. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, this, and Morty's a very different character than he was in season one. So he's much more able to fend for himself and to call Rick Rick out when he's doing um, doing things that are wrong, at least it, it, as far as his relationship with his grandchildren. Um, so so a really strong return for Rick and Morty and um, one that I, I'm, I'm excited to have on a week-to-week basis. But I'm talking too much. We need to move on to Younger. Um, right, because, because like all we really need to say is, why aren't you dating forty-year-old men in publishing that aren't me, Liza? <laughs> okay, so obviously I'm invested in younger. I reviewed the first season for the AV Club and went from watching, well, getting all the whole first season and be like, well, I should watch, you know, try to watch a sizable chunk to watching all of it in like two days. Uh, because I just kept clicking to the next one. I got super invested really quickly on this show. You just jumped in this season. So the fact that we yeah. both had such a strong response to this most recent episode, uh, the end specifically of this most recent episode, I think speaks well to the show. And before we get into that, I'm curious now, Noel, does this prompt you to want to like go back and watch earlier stuff or no, you don't care? No, I really don't care. Like, okay. I don't feel like I really need to or particularly want to be okay. sort of dragged through that romantic triangle. <laughs> okay. Um, as maybe compelling it as it is, but everything I see from Josh in these episodes I've watched, I just go, you seem really boring, mm-hmm. is basically my approach. And I know maybe I'm supposed to think that um, Charles is boring, but I don't think Charles is boring. I think the man can wear a sweater. So... <laughs> Okay, because yeah. like for yeah. me, if I had started on season four and I got to this episode, I would be like, I need to watch the next episode. I can't watch the ep- next episode. I will watch all of the previous episodes then. Like that is that's right. Me. That makes that that makes sense. But I'm also just like, but I'm enjoying this version of the show I'm getting without any context. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So obviously, there they had a big moment in this episode you can tell if you don't watch the show you can tell from how we're talking about it what we got in this episode was um a really strong mislead as far as i'm concerned with some of the other storylines in the season that leads us to in the last scene charles under significant strain because of really detrimental happenings at work blurting out stuff about liza and that pushing them to a different place if the show doesn't immediately walk it back, which I have a feeling they will, and it'll be really annoying. Um, that really pushes the the show and that aspect, the shipping aspect, the love triangle aspect of the show to a point of no return. Um, and Or at least it changes things from here on out. And the execution of it, not only was it surprising, because this is like I've been saying, the kind of moment I was expecting more at the end of the season not right i remember right in the middle um but again i just kept i kept thinking about the way that it's delivered both the the performance of sutton foster in reacting i thought was terrific but peter herman is so good so good in that moment because if you think about what you know what's what is happening this is a guy who is the boss of a company saying completely inappropriate things to someone who works for him, but with whom there's a bit of a history, which you, I don't, you're not aware of, but she left mm-hmm. and, and he got her to come back. He went and found her working in the mall and got her to come back and kissed her at that point. 
Um, so like there's there's a little you know there's been a couple kisses over time. So it's not like this is out of nowhere. There need to be more kisses. <laughs> but like this is completely inappropriate and it's an abuse of power and it's out of character. But I totally bought it because of the delivery because it it was angry and frustrated but not at her but right. he there was enough confusion and pain in it in the delivery that it all came together and really worked for me so i loved the end of this episode um you talk now <laughs> well no like uh picking up on like what you said about the build-up i thought was really really good and i like that a lot of the sort of inciting incident there's such a build-up to this and like you were saying in terms of the stuff with kelsey and mm-hmm. kelsey Kelsey. Yeah, Kelsey. Um, I was like, I hit that K really hard um, <laughs> with Kelsey, and then them losing a losing a rider just when they thought they were gonna be okay for a little while, and then on top of uh, seeing um, uh, Liza with um, Asif Monbi's character, who gives a really just kind of weird performance, I think, but I really like it. Mm-hmm. And so seeing the two of them together at a club, well, not a club, a really nice restaurant, mm-hmm. and quietly freaking out, and then all of this barreling, like you were saying, is just like it's a really nice package of making this powder keg and then just lighting a match to it, and it really working really really well, considering that it's done in like, uh, let's see, if we take out all the stuff with the mustache lady. Um, like the solid, like they do it in about a solid, like 12 minutes. Yeah. And it's really well done. And like, again, like the fact that I immediately texted you after I watched it, I just went gasp younger end of episode. And then I was like, (laughs) I have no idea what he's talking about, but I need, I was, I was, I couldn't watch it then. I was like, I will watch this on my lunch break as soon as I can tomorrow. And then immediately I texted you back. (laughs) Right, exactly. And it was just like one of those things where I was considering that I've only really watched like a handful of episodes of the show um, prior to this. It's just like, I was just like, yay, finally. But like you were saying, like Herman's performance and uh, Foster's performance are both just really, really strong in that last moment. And it's, but then it just like, kicks into like the general sitcomness of having people storming into the office to sing happy birthday. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so delightful and oh God, they are going to walk back and I'm going to be really upset and yeah. who knows what they're going to do. Cause the promo was just like, here's Kelsey and Josh hanging out at a lake. And I just went, nobody cares. <laughs> well, I immediately went to Twitter and was look, searching on the hashtag to, to see other people's responses. Cause there's like two websites that review the show. Yeah. Um, and um, that one, of the, I just, every reaction gift that I saw, like a tweet with a gif, I was mm-hmm. like, yes. And one of them was nobody cares. Stop trying to make this a thing. <laughs> was the reaction gift. It was, it was delightful. Um, but no, what I thought worked so well, is especially as someone, you know, with the perspective of having watched four seasons of the show, they have established firmly that this author that they lost is the bread and butter for the, the company. He's the reason the company's still open. This is their George okay. R. R. Martin stand-in, who's come in a few times to okay, okay. for comedic episodes. Um, I thought this was just a new person. I did not know that. Okay, thank you. No, it's a recurring figure, and it's somebody who um, that's why the you know Charles says you especially know how important this this author is to us because the author then is all was all creepy and leery over Sutton Foster uh, because she had to stand in to be their 
Daenerys wearing like nothing but like a fur bikini at a photo shoot thing. Okay. Um, so it's like a, it's like a continuing thread, you know, with that. And and the fact that the the finances of the company of Empirical have been a legitimate conversation in this series to this point, like obviously it's a fake world. Everything they would all be out of jobs. They wouldn't have any money based on you know the things we right. see them wearing and doing. But um in the reality of the show, it's been a real concern that has come up each season um, in significant ways. So that way, when it's paid off here, that is a significant enough moment that it has stakes for the show. I love the, you know, that this idea that legitimately Kelsey could lose her job and right. her freak out, freak out about that. And the, no, I'm not crying over some dude. I'm crying because I have my dream job and I just screwed up in a way that I might lose it. And it's my fault. Like, it's not like it's somebody else's fault or it's unjust if she loses her job over this. Like, they, the, the whole company could close over this. Um, so I thought that they, every, that heightened everything so effectively. The fact that they finally put to rest this Diana, you know, like chasing after Charles thing, I thought was very nice. And then let us have the <laughs> skirt, you get a cupcake. And when she comes in at the ending, she's like, I don't even care enough to, to do this. But here's a, here's a cupcake. Can, can we just, can this be done now? And I loved, oh, oh man, I loved her uh, doing the harmony with her hand and everything. Uh-huh. Like, come on, who doesn't, there's always one person in the group who's doing that, right? It Is just, there? I, you, yes, at least in our family. But again, again, there's a lot of musicians in my, my family, professional and otherwise, so fair enough. Yeah. Maybe that's just us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no I, I i just thought the whole thing came together in a really powerful way what i tweeted was that moments like the end of this episode are reason are the reason that people like me watch romantic comedies it's for mm-hmm. the the tension but it's also but more about it's about the pathos that leads to that tension and what this tells us about charles i like watching that i get the sense that he's as upset with himself as he is anything else like why can't I, why am i so hung up on this young girl and you get the sense that he hasn't doesn't have a history of relationships with younger women and he he's trying it he doesn't like he knows something doesn't add up about her and he's it's driving him nuts that he cares so much and it's just all getting wrapped up together um in this really interesting way um and the fact that i can sit here and analyze this the layers of meaning behind a single line delivery in a very fluffy rom-com like girl in the city kind of show shows that they've done their job really well yeah no absolutely and to like even to your point that i've just watched like six episodes of this Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's really well executed and you can sense again like you were saying the sheer amount of force Mm -hmm. even without the confines outside of the confines of this particular episode is really really impressive and yeah. so, yeah, no, they deserve serious kudos for pulling this episode off and making it work both as like a pop in viewer, but also as for you as someone who's watched the entire thing. Yeah. Like it's equally rewarding either way in a lot of ways just to, to get that paid off. Yeah. And usually that I have not found that to often be the case. Usually right. I'm like watching something and there'll be a big moment like that. And I'll be watching with other people. I'll be like, ah, like freaking out. And the other people be like, what? it's like if you had seen the other four seasons you would know and you would care but you don't have the context so you don't um so i i appreciate (laughs) noel that you were also able to enjoy this episode quite a bit um eventually i will 
put together my thoughts on what does what makes and then doesn't make a romantic comedy work because there's so many there's shipping is such a huge part of how people watch television and there's so few shows that get it really right um i think there are interesting there's probably even a book in that uh, an, an analytical nerdy book in that but like and maybe other people have written it at the televerse let me know um but the execution on the show is, is really terrific, and uh, I look forward to thinking about it further. Um, I think my answer is very clear. <laughs> When's your week in comedy and reality and all? Was it, was it the low files? Was it, was it, wait, was it Bake Off? Huh? It was totally Bake Off. I don't even remember what happened on Bake Off. You had to remind me what they made. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's very much younger. So it's the younger award this week. The younger award goes to younger, and like, if you had told me a couple weeks ago that there would be a couple weeks in a row where we were both digging this hard on Younger, I would have yeah. been very surprised. <laughs> so, I'm yay. Yay for Younger in season four, stronger than ever. Love it. Okay, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama and genre. drama and genre uh noel's going to <laughs> fill us in with the premieres of sinner on usa and room 104 on hbo now i knew about room 104 Noel, i had heard about that one uh sinner it's been hard to avoid the ads for that one <laughs> recently uh i've i've a suspicion, but I look forward to your to your thoughts on both. Um, then I'm going to catch up very quickly with a couple thoughts on Game of Thrones, The Queen's Justice, before we both chime in with Winona Earp, No Future in the Past, The Bold Type, No Feminism in the Champagne Room, and Queen Sugar, their mid-season finale, Freedom's Plow. So first up is Sinner. Um, based just on the sheer... Like, my dad has this whole theory of advertising uh, that comes okay. up every now and again. Basically... There's a certain there's a there's a a nice sweet spot for advertising, and when you've seen more ads than that, be concerned because they're just desperate to get people in on the, for the premiere ratings or the the opening box office, so that they have a high number and they know that <laughs> no one's coming back, which is why they're doing such a big push. That's my suspicion for Cinder, just based on I've seen a lot of ads for the show. Um, is that? fair or is this is this actually a show i should be checking out i don't know the answer to your question ah, okay fair <laughs> um, enough sort of the sort of the best answer i can give you right now is i'm not entirely sure so uh for those who somehow managed to avoid all the advertising um centers a limited close-ended limited series anthology-esque show i'm assuming that mm -hmm. they're gonna do because it's already been renewed for a second season <laughs> um <laughs> 
a close ended limited series that has been renewed. Come on, right. they're gonna ha- they're gonna do a season two. I'm almost positive. Like I think I saw like a little thing saying that it was gonna be back in 2018, uh, like at, during the first commercial break. Yeah. They were gonna do another season. So I just went, oh, okay. Anyway, so this is based on a crime novel um, from a German uh, German writer, uh, Petra. I'm gonna butcher the German last name is Hammerschwar. Hemispha? Yes. Yeah. I'm, co- I, I'm confident in your pronunciation and don't want to try myself. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I apologize to any German listeners or German speakers who could pronounce that correctly. Anyway, so what happens is that Jessica Biel basically has returned to television and she plays a repressed ennuied housewife who kills a man um, at a beach um, after she sees the man... Um, flirting and being like sexually suggestive with his girlfriend but like she's not in any danger or anything it's 20 something play in a public space pda it's Mm -hmm. a little gross pda but it's pda Mm -hmm. and she ends up killing him and she confesses and she's just like she's ready to go to jail basically Mm -hmm. and pullman play bill pullman plays a hurry detective with some secrets and is prone to making on the nose observation about trees that are stark, starkly relevant to the situation at hand, including there's a blight on that tree. Something's off balance in the ecosystem or to a rubber plant tree. It's not getting enough sun. There's something wrong with that. And it's just like, Oh God (laughs) type of thing. I see, I see you show. I see you. So basically what the show is and how it's being pitched is not a whodunit, but a why done it. Mm-hmm. And the central mystery is what made Beale's character snap, basically, and stab this guy like eight times. And so there's some flashbacks to a religious, um, a severely religious, abusive uh, uh, childhood. There's these uh, flashes to a wallpaper that looks to me vaguely O'Keefe-esque mm-hmm. um, in sort of like a Paisley tie sort of way. Um, so that's a little weird, but it's also very provocative and suggestive about like where all this is getting tied into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a good answer for you because this doesn't make good use of Bill Pullman's sort of off kilter sort of chemistry and charisma for me because he's just in this weird sort of situation where he's stuck playing the, detective who knows better than everyone else and is questioning things but is also carrying on an affair with a dominatrix and we're he's like in a weird place emotionally and he's kind of stalking her and it's just it's very weird and it's very worn out so all the stuff with like beale's character is just like this is a little more interesting but i'm saddled with this sad sack bearded detective (laughs) and I don't know quite what to do with any of this. So based on just the first episode, they made the first three available, um, and a lot of the reviews seem to go, aesthetically, this is really interesting and nice, um, and the Jessica Biel stuff is really good, but the detective stuff, not so much. And I think that's, I can kind of agree with that just based on this first episode. Um, So I haven't decided if I'm going to watch more or not. Like, I'm super fascinated at this exploration of, Beale's character psychology and like exploring why she's doing it. But I'm, I keep balking at how very much this feels like a man attempting to figure her out and diagnose her. 
as a detective that this is the mystery that needs to be solved. And I just kind of go, I'd be much happier if I just had Muriel Inos doing this instead. And for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. but I just, I keep going to the fact that I've got this bearded, grumpy detective trying to figure out this woman in her like 30s, 40s. And it's just like, guys, I, I could just watch some... I could just watch some 1940s women's drama, medical melodrama films and get this exact same thing, but in two hours. I don't have to <laughs> devote eight hours to it. And that's kind of how I'm feeling. It's just like, um, I'm interested, but I'm not sure if I'm interested enough. The person, the murder victim, 20-something uh, yeah. you said? Yeah. Okay, so it's not going to be someone who, who she doesn't know him. a child. No, okay. she doesn't even know him. She's never had any contact with him, to our knowledge. Okay. He's just a random stranger. Um, how long before they reveal horrific sexual abuse as a child? Oh, probably. Well, that's the thing is like a lot of the flashbacks are in motivations are apparently sort of being described as like red herrings in a lot of ways, which okay. I find fascinating. Okay. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be so. I don't know. Like based on based on that first episode, there's some significant emotional abuse, and I'll just tell you in case like. They flash back, and um, her mother is in a nursery rocking an infant. And uh, uh, Beale's character's younger self is like five or six at this point. And she's just like, you took a lot of energy out of me when you were born. And so much energy that I didn't really have enough for your sister. And That's great. No, 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 it gets worse, is that... You, the camera reveals a barely a, like prematurely born infant. Ah, that's like practically blue, mm -hmm. but like is in in her arms being rocked and everything, and like is like gasping for air sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, how much of this is like sort of imagined or guilt manufactured as opposed to something that? she was told and then implanted the premature or uh, poorly born or yeah. however you want to describe it infant into her memories is like a question. I think that's where a lot of like the show's actual drama will end up coming from, okay. but I'm not entirely convinced that I'm interested in the version of the show with the detective trying to figure it out. Cause that's where my hangup is, is like, I'm fascinated by Beale's performance, fascinated by the backstory, but I understand that like, there's no way to necessarily get to the backstory without having someone poking around it. But I also just immediately go, just make it a female detective. And I'm suddenly okay with a lot of this. <laughs> well, and the, your description of that is much more interesting than it, the show was sounding. So that actually, I was like, okay, fair enough. Because everything else you had said before then, I was like, right. okay, so this sounds like we're going to have the, the cop guy, like solve her. There's mm -hmm. going to be one memory that he's going to trigger and yeah. unlock, and then that's going to answer every question. So that's actually a much more interesting aspect of the show. Yeah. So maybe this is one that I follow in recaps, and yeah. then if it sounds like it gets interesting, I can jump in. Yeah, which is, maybe. That's why recaps exist, right? Like, that's my use of recaps, as opposed to reviews. I think, I think that's totally why they exist. Yeah. Um, okay, well, what about Room 104 on HBO? This is the first episode. This is another. This is an anthology series um, from the Duplass Brothers. Uh, this is Ralphie. And you said, all I know about it is that this is a horror installment? 
Right. So Room 104, like you said, is an anthology series. Um, the thing about it is, is that um, so each um, episode will take place in a room of an American hotel, but it'll be Room 104 mm-hmm. of whatever hotel it is. In this, in this one, it's sort of a motel-esque, excuse me, motel-esque uh, room. Uh, but each episode will be sort of a different genre um in terms of like what's presented so like um this this episode like you said is significantly more horror and psychologically psychological suspense oriented mm-hmm. um and the best way because these episodes are only like a half hour is to think about them as very self-contained short stories and um so like next week maybe more comical uh the following week more horror again horror more drop dramatic or they've also said that there'll be some crime themes involved so i mean this is this is going to be like a really sort of anthology-esque show basically i imagine a bunch of writers and directors going okay you you have to set everything in this hotel room but tell whatever story you want Mm -hmm. it just has to happen in a hotel room and that's kind of interesting and exciting to me um but yeah, so this first one, like you said, is uh, Ralphie. And this woman gets drafted to babysit a young boy named Ralph, who initially doesn't come out of the bathroom because he's locking Ralphie in the bathroom. Mm. And so if you're thinking, I don't want to like delve too much into it plot-wise. Um, but I, what I will say is that, well, I think Mark Duplass, who wrote this first episode and has written most of these episodes, um, looking at the episode release stuff um, is that the script is fine, I think, but a lot of the strength for the episode comes from director um, Sarah Dina Smith, who does a really nice job of playing off just how claustrophobic that little motel room is with its two full-size beds and the little vanity that mm-hmm. leads into the bathroom. And, you know, that typical motel hotel sort of thing. And just, playing off that space and eating greasy pizza and popcorn and watching old sitcoms and all of that is a writing thing, but then how Smith plays it off through um, close-ups or through some of her um, choice shots, she manages to make that room both feel very small and very large. And it's really, really effective. And it's quite taunt as like a sort of psychological thing that by the end, like I had left in our, show notes that it was like deep deeply unsettling but not like in a super unsettling way mm-hmm. but like but it still sort of unnerved me in a lot of ways and the tension that again mostly for me came in through the direction and also the performance um from both um uh, maloney diaz who plays the babysitter and then the little kid um it was just really effectively done and so I really liked it. I really liked this a lot. And I'm interested in seeing the show each week and what it does differently. Um, because like what we were sort of talking about with the guest book is that there's a whole, the nature of a hotel, even if you're doing a different hotel every time, um, is transient. And I'm it, there's so many things that you can tell with hotels because they're transient spaces. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really fascinated by that. Like one of my favorite writers, um, Haruki Murakami does this a lot with hotel rooms as well. And so I've 
it's just a fascinating thing to explore and hotels are just weird places anyway to me. So I'm, I'm intrigued by what they're going to do each week, especially given the genre changes. So I hope that you carve out a little bit of time to watch this. And uh, I'm curious, I'll be curious to know what you think. Now, as a scaredy cat, should I start with this one or like start with the, That's the fuzzy comedy? <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, tell you what, I imagine that some episodes are probably up on HBO's press site, oh. and I I will see if I, they are, and I'll look for the comedy one and <laughs> let you know. Uh, just because for me, this isn't like, this isn't like what kind of horror do you typically not respond to? Or is it just like horror in general? Because this is way more like psychological type stuff, that which is be much fine. Which is much more up my alley. Like I'm not big on like slasher, unkillable monster, Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. or um, Halloween. Even though I kind of like the first Halloween, but those kind of things or Texas Chainsaw Massacre just don't work for me typically. Yeah. But if you give me like a good ghost story, or if you give me more psychological horror, a la like Alien or Science of the Lambs, I'm in a much better mode. Mm-hmm. And this feels more, it's much more in a psychological sense than it is. There's some scares, but they're scares that are motivated by the tension that's been created as opposed to woo or a cat jumping out of nowhere and scaring you. Yeah. I think more, I don't like to watch horrible things happen to people. Right. I think because I, I used to just say like, I'm a scared cat. I don't like horror, but I think to be, I should be more specific than that because I have seen for someone who doesn't seek out horror i've actually seen quite a lot of it at this point for someone who avoids it you know just through the podcast and um uh it's not that it's about being able to sleep at night because i have a very active imagination um and and so i need to watch it earlier in the day that i can distract my brain so I'm to go, you know what would be really creepy right now if that floaty vampire kid from Salem's Lot was outside your window? Wouldn't that be creepy? Oh, you don't, maybe easy. You just don't have, you have your eyes shut though, so you don't know. So you should just open them and make sure. Probably not, but you know, like the, the, those, those fun right. things. So, uh, so that, you know, that is a deterrent for me, but mostly it's, I just don't like, I don't want to watch people get murdered. I don't want to, like, that's not fun to me. Um, yeah. So I think. I think that's why I'm I'm much more okay with the psychological stuff, mm-hmm. um, but you know there I don't know I still as I have seen more horror, it's it forces me and and been fine with some of it and uh, most of it actually that that people have recommended to me. Um, it's causing me to I should be more thoughtful and reflect on what specifically it is I don't like. What's causing me to say I don't like horror? Right. No, I was very much the same way. Um, like I my best friend in high school and beginning of college was a huge horror aficionado. And I was basically just like, I don't want to watch this with you because why would I want to watch the Hills have eyes? Mm-hmm. I don't know why you would want me to watch this or saw. It was just like, I don't understand the appeal of some of this yeah. in terms of like the implied gruesomeness of yeah. this is the physical torture aspect or the massive amounts of killing aspect. Unless it's done in a particular way is not something I can respond to. And I just, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, so the more suggestive it is, the better off I am. Yeah. I think, yeah, the stuff that is upsetting to me, that's where I, that's yeah. the stuff I don't want to watch. So um, I would probably be fine with this. Um, so, and I, I am planning to check it out, but I, just the concept, you know, on its own is some, is a really exciting one to me. I think a lot, there are a lot of filmmakers and writers out there who do much better with some, you know, guidelines, you know, some, yeah. 
borders to what they can do. And so having a very specific, it must stay in this room, I think is a, is a great way yeah. to see how creative people can get. So I look forward to checking out some of these episodes. Um, Game of Thrones had the Queen's Justice, which is the long awaited um, introduction of Jon uh, Snow and Daenerys. And a lot of people really love this episode. And I thought it was fine. And okay. my response was, okay, so I watched John and Danny meet, and it was exactly what you'd think it would be if Jon Snow met Daenerys Targaryen. So I, th- I think I had a very different reaction than some some other people I was reading, like re- responses, re- reviews, that kind of thing, because I, I did not get any sense of chemistry or like energy in the scene at all. It was very, very flat to me, and they were just talking past each other, but of course they would be talking past each other. They have such different experiences and backgrounds, and they have such different priorities that it they both kind of say the stuff that, that of course, they would say. Um, so for me, it was just absolutely devoid of energy. But again, I also think you have two of the least compelling actors on the show at this point now granted that's that's you know a little harsh you got to keep in mind that this is a cast that is full of really terrific actors but like i don't get much of a sense of um chemistry with Jon snow and like hardly anybody um other than Egret. um but as far as like like there's some they did a good job with i think the casting for the night's watch so like and obviously the i have a strong connection with john and sansa but the other people that i watched him interact with most of the time i the energy in those scenes comes from that other person for me uh, the chemistry and the, the dynamic is fueled for me by the other person. And the same thing is true for me with Danny. <laughs> so you put them together in a scene. And um, I just, I saw a lot of people talking about like the crackling energy in the, in the scene and like, oh, these two powerhouses. And I was like, I, y'all are watching a different show than me. Cause I was just kind of bored. It's like, okay, they're saying all the things that they need to say because th- that's what they would think. So now can we get past that and, go to the part where like now that they've said all that and Tyrion has said the stuff that he has to say like it felt very moving the the plot pieces around um in a way that like because there's no personal connection there so of course that's what it would be I care way more about watching Sansa and Jon interact than I do uh, Daenerys and Jon and so I think that makes me puts me in the minority of Game of Thrones Game of Thrones watchers but um so it goes, I guess. Uh, so that that was, you know, the th- what I wanted to chime in on with with Game of Thrones. There's some other stuff happening with Cersei that's interesting, and obviously there were like this huge shifts in the power dynamic between Daenerys and Cersei in this episode. But they're just they're racing through a lot of developments to kind of set up the next, like the end of the season where the wall is totally gonna fall, um, and uh, and so they can set up the the final conflict. It's just it it feels. You were missing those scenes, like those intense, dramatic uh, scenes that we got. We got one in the premiere with the Hound. We got we got some great stuff with Arya in the last two weeks. That you know, this moving pieces around a map of Westeros is not interesting to me compared to, you know, a, a little moment between Jorah and Sam. Um, or what we'll hopefully get soon will be Jorah and Danny, and I'll actually care about that interaction. So like that's 
you know, for me, this episode was was lacking a lot of those more, much more personal touches. So, um, plus, if I never see Littlefinger again, I'll be happy. Um, the stuff with Sansa and and Bran very intentionally lacked that spark because that was the whole point. Because he's the three eyed Raven now. Um, so that so I see what they're doing there, but in an episode that for me was so lacking in chemistry having that be in there didn't really help um so i'm hopeful that should um should aria stay on the path to winterfell and get to winterfell in the next episode we should get a much more interesting uh, interaction there with her and sansa but we'll see what happens so i should stop talking i've been talking for too long uh we need to move over to winona erp no future in the past because i'm still super down with this season um and the series, but I gotta say, for a show that is so inspired by and pays such loving homage to Buffy, doing the exact end of season one to season two, like, shake-up, where, oh, you died, but for, like, a minute, that didn't trigger anything, did it? And then having it then in Buffy called it another Slayer, and now there's a second Slayer, it's a whole thing we gotta deal with. Um, and then Winona Herb. All the revenants that she's killed in the series so far are now alive again. Hence, you called it, Noel, with baby daddy, potential baby daddy, we should say, being alive. Um, Like, it's so one for one that I'm having a really hard time with it. Yeah, and I I think that's a really good point that you make. And it's one that didn't click in my mind because I just ended up being really disengaged from this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in part because I didn't really care about the flashbacks as much as I enjoyed um, seeing Robert and the actor who played Robert slash Bobo, mm-hmm. um, mainly because that was just really, really good. Um, Robert felt really distinct. And but then you just saw like the layers for this. But then like the time travel aspects of of it were just really weird and I didn't quite track them. So all of that aside is just like, I ended up feeling really disengaged. So I didn't really think of too much or about the episode as closely as I probably should have, or maybe watched it again mm-hmm. um, before we recorded. But yeah, it just, your description of everything is particularly just wonderfully spot on. So yeah, it was a little disappointing, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I liked, I, I, you liked Robert way more than I did. I didn't buy mm-hmm. that performance at all. Well, it's not the performance. I didn't buy the writing. It just seemed like a character envisioned to be the opposite of Bobo. Like right. he, he and, didn't yeah, feel lived in. Much, yeah. yeah. No. And it's, I think it's very deeply conceived that way, but I really, I liked the performance a lot. If, even if the writing just felt way on the other spectrum, mm-hmm. too much um, on the other spectrum. But I did really like the stuff we got with Robert and Winona. And, of course, they slayed me. They completely killed me with the what's your name, Waverly. And then that closes the loop for why did Waverly have an imaginary friend, Bobo, from all through season one. Like that, I just like, oh, the feels, the feels, Noel. It was beautiful. Um, so I thought that worked really well. And then that, I think it's a really convenient way to bring Bobo back. But, like, can we please just start the next episode with her having re-killed all the revenants they've already killed again, please? No. 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 Probably not. But montage! They should, but... Come on, montage. Yeah, no. Except no, Bobo. Because... Yeah, except Bobo. No, I don't, I don't think we'll get a montage of that. Um, in, like, 
so I guess the so we won't get a montage of that. Um, but then the other thing we have to deal with is like that last seal, which I'm assuming is in the well. Mm. Um, well, does he wear a ring? I don't remember. I don't remember. I feel um, like theoret- that's the ring that gives him immortality, right? So he must wear it. Yeah. And, and if he if they break the the seal, then he'll die because he will no longer be immortal. Right. So that's a good, I feel like that's a good high point to build to, or like it's a very convenient thing. We also know they're not going to, at least I think, I feel confident saying they're not going to succeed um, because I don't think they're going to kill Doc. Unless maybe they'll come up with some, Jeremy will figure something out in Ancient Sumerian um, to, to transfer the thing or something. But you know, or maybe now that the the stone witch is theoretically dead, that changes things. I don't know, but um, I did like the the stuff at the bar. I thought I really like the the writing so far for Rosita. I did not mm-hmm. expect her and Doc to still be a thing. So I think that's an interesting choice. Yeah, and I'm kind of okay with that. Like a friend of mine on um, Twitter was sort of like, I don't understand how you can be all in. And but also still have your barmaid. And I just went, I totally understand how you can be all in and still have your barmaid. It's yeah. just like this is a very this is a very found family sort of show. And I don't see why Rosita shouldn't be incorporated into this in some way. And that, yeah. you know, Doc can still hang out with Rosita and have a relationship with her and be all in when he thought the kid was his. And he'll still be all in even if the kid's a demon. Yeah. Or half demon. Yeah, because that's well, how much he cares. And it, all in means lots of different things. Also, she's Winona's making googly eyes at uh, Dragon Boy there. So like, right? You know, like there's nothing wrong with anything we're seeing here. I just I thought that I think that's a very interesting choice and way to go. And it's such a beautifully mature way to go. That's like, when's the last time you saw a show that had that reaction to this as opposed to, but you can love only me. And I can love only you, so I will break up with everyone, and I'll be angry that you ever slept with another person. And, like, that's normally the kind of idiotic, angsty BS that these that genre shows with, um, especially if there's, like, a pregnancy in there, like, to yeah. pull out. So I thought it was yeah, lovely. Yeah, no. And so she's just like, um, can we throw a baby shower, maybe, so she'll like me? <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, yep, there will there will be nachos, which made me want nachos all week and rewarded myself with nachos. On I was going to say, those look tasty. <laughs> I have not had nachos since watching this episode, and I feel like that's um, a failing in my part, really. That's no, on me. they were good. They're not as good as, like, the nachos I can make myself, but they're mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I, make, I make decent nachos. Nice. Um, any <laughs> final thoughts on this episode? Um, oh, I suppose we should talk about the fact that they mostly got rid of their plot device of Juan Carlos, and I still don't really feel like we have an answer. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't. But they can do a future flashback or they, he can be ghost Juan Carlos or something. I yeah. liked that they gave a very specific reason for why he's so enigmatic all the time. Is Literally, he's cursed with he can't tell anybody anything. I thought that was yeah. a nice way around it. I guess. But I'm also just like, uh, you guys you guys maybe just didn't know what to do with this character and just decided this is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. That works. They killed him off. Uh, did you just like seeing the uh, <laughs> the fitnessy uh, uh, firefighters again? I did. I always need more of the fitnessy firefighters, <laughs> um, just because I like the dynamic that they bring. But and I'm interested to see what happens now with them that Juan Carlos is no longer there to guide them. Yeah, and or also restrain them, mm-hmm. as the That's case may true. be. So okay. that'll Fair be enough. fun dynamics to explore. Hopefully. 
Yeah. Um, what do you think about the uh, way hot drama of of you know Nicole keeping that letter from Waverly? I mean, I feel like Waverly is absolutely justified in being upset, but it's not like she destroyed it. She just kind of was like, "Are you sure? Maybe think about it for another day." Yeah, yeah. It it, it felt a little manufactured for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I understand where Nicole's coming from with it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, is this, how important is this really is sort of the question she wants Waverly to like really be sure on before she looks at it. And I think that's a fair question to ask considering everything that happens in this town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it just, it still felt kind of, it still felt a little too manufactured to me, especially like the whole having it, having it sent to the police office as opposed to police station, police office. <laughs> Um, the police station as opposed to wait really just open a P.O. box <laughs> yeah there's that I, but in my head I'll have you know that like there's just like a, the office opening credits but with mm-hmm. just different Nicole's <laughs> doing ah. the different reacts. the music's going and everything uh, so that is delightful someone on, on uh, in the way hot uh, fandom please make that trailer I want to or that opening credit sequence I want to see it um, any final thoughts Monona Earp or should we move on to the bold type no, um, so tell me about the bull type because this episode had um, some really significant Adina stuff, and last week you were very about Adina. Um, Not about Adina, about Kadina. About Kadina, right? About Kadina. So, yes. how are you feeling about it now, um, given where things kind of circulated in this week's episode? I thought it w- I like them together here much better. Like this, the material that they gave them that felt much more. Um, authentic to a, a relationship you know felt much more like there's a connection here than just person who's stuck in their phone and free spirit like these felt more much more like actual people um what we were seeing in this episode i also like you know cat screwing this up uh, and yes. it was it was very clearly you know they were leading to this but you know she's like excitedly running over i just kept i was just glad that coco didn't like walk out from the other room like i was expecting yes no i was very much like waiting for coco to sort of be standing in the bedroom doorway and i was just gonna be like oh i'm much better with i'm getting on a plane to paris and we're gonna see if we can make this work yeah and i just went oh so you're willing to do this with the guest star and the romance, but I can't get Sutton fall taking a more practical job. <laughs> yes. But you know what I will say is I loved what they gave Sutton in this episode where they're like, literally I cannot afford to take this job. And, and when her friends are giving her useless, absolutely useless advice and not listening to her at all, just like, just demand a better paycheck. It's like, that's, that's not how it works. I can't just demand a better paycheck. And then I get that paycheck. I make a big stink and then I don't get the job at all is what happens. So like the way the the solutions that they gave her, I thought worked really well. The um, her standing up for herself and and pointing out how useless her friends were being, I thought also worked really well. And just the the dynamic um, that it establishes for her with Oliver. I like that a lot. This idea of, okay, you can't pay me more, but you know what? You can cover my food. You can cover my travel. You can, you know, like, these different things like that that could go a long way towards, you know, making this a feasible right. option. I also loved that they didn't have it be, well, let's just, just move in with your boyfriend, which I feel like a lot of other shows would have done. Yeah. 
yeah, and yeah, a number of shows would have done that to like milk this sort of weird thing. But I mean, at the same time, I can't imagine them living together and how much of like no. a kind of a chaos that would have created for like his lifestyle mm-hmm. of like who knows how many people he has over a week in terms of like business clients and that kind of thing. Um, and just like the weird kind of shifts that would have created. So I don't think they could have done that. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I, I like how there's a practical sort of solution presented for Sutton in this episode. And also the fact that she just got really angry with everyone. And mm-hmm. I was, I was really there for them being really angry for her being really angry at them. Cause it's just like, it, like you said, it's just completely useless advice. Yeah, absolutely useless. Um, and, uh, as for the Jane storyline, eh. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that from, yeah, a lot of that for me boiled down to the fact is that this is all very, we're done with this in terms Mm -hmm. of like, she's written the article, it's out there, we didn't, we don't have any sense of like, what's happened beyond, you were too descriptive about me. And, but without access to the article ourselves, uh, we just kind of go, this is all really fine, but there's no detail to, it's all very broad. And given that it's really difficult to engage with any of it and engage with their like whole sort of empowerment through stripping type of thing that they're they're wanting to push through and from jane's perspective in particular but because there's so little detail presented it's really difficult to buy into anything either jane's perspective or how angry morgan stanley um which is just fantastic um (laughs) is and so it's just like one of those things where i just go i I don't there's no tension to any of this it's all very slack and even when they sort of ratchet it up by saying her kid got kicked out of school because of what you wrote and i just go but i don't understand (laughs) because we don't know what she wrote (laughs) Mm -hmm. we didn't see any of these interviews so it's it's just all it's way too it's way too fuzzy and amorphous to be like, oh, yeah, I, I totally see the conflict here. And now it's just like, oh, this is just a conflict of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I yeah, I agree. And um, I like that they did give a specific thing to point to for a grievance, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was a very tidy ending. And, like, just once I'd like to see this, something happen where the, the hero goes to just talk to them person to person and it blows up in their face because you should never do that. It's like, I'm not supposed to say I'm sorry. Cause I guess it's like an admission of guilt or something. It's like, yeah, yes. it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. And that would be a very expensive admission of guilt. So you're you really shouldn't do that. Um, so I, yeah, it's a very tidy conclusion, but you know, on the scale of things, fair enough. I, I was much more engaged with the cat stuff and with the sudden stuff this week. So we'll yeah. see, we'll see what happens with both of those. Um, we got to get to Queen Sugar, though, because this was their mid-season finale. I did not realize they were going on hiatus until October. Yeah, neither <laughs> um, did I. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so we sort of like with Twin Peaks, where the week I got behind was the week everything went like over the top crazy. Um, Queen Sugar has ratcheted up in the last few weeks, Noel. Um, yes. Dang, these last few yep. episodes. What did you yep. think? Yeah, I, I felt really bad when I was watching the past two weeks episode to prep for this week's and just going, oh, we should have discussed this. <laughs> and look, we should have discussed that. <laughs> yeah, we should have discussed all this. Um, but no, so like the big thing um, across that rippled across everything 
um, particularly these three episodes, but then there's some stuff in this episode as well um, that Kate gets to be smug about. Um, <laughs> is that um, um, Ernest's um, will uh, that um, Vi and Ralph Angel and um, Hollywood Carla, knew about it, right? Yeah, and Hollywood, I think, kind of knew about it, but Hollywood's sort of like more of a satellite to the rest of this mm-hmm. um, than deeply enmeshed, especially this season, I feel like. Yeah, um, he's staying out of it. Things are in a yeah. good place, and he's not going to screw it up. Hollywood's good out here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I just, I, so all of this comes out, and it's just, like, delicious from, like, a dramatic standpoint. But it's also just remarkably well played from everyone, and particularly, like, Rutina Wesley, who I was not, expecting nova to be this upset mm-hmm. about it and her blow up about it is really really good i really enjoyed it and i liked how that fed into her arc across these three episodes of running away from something difficult and then running back from something difficult in this particular episode and by also calling her on it um but so no like it shook up everything in really productive ways but also provided a really good climax to a lot of the Charlie and Ralph Angel tensions that have been running through this um these eight episodes and just all of it was really really good and but it felt balanced against all the other elements of the show particularly the launching of the mill and then the magazine article about the mill and just all of this stuff and it, it's just it's so good Kate it's really really good and it's grounded in so much stuff that I think one of the reasons why, part, apart from like the bandwidth issue, is that I wasn't expecting them to do any of this right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also did not know about a mid-season finale. And so I was just like, this will's not going to happen. We're just going to kind of like explore the mill and we're not going to deal with the will aspect of it. And we'll have some Darla stuff struggling between Ralph Angel and Charlie, which we get here and well done and it makes charlie look terrible mm-hmm. and so the fact that all of this came together as organically and really wonderfully as it did and that it gave each of their characters a sort of end point for this half season it's just it's really really good and it was really really impressive and watching all three of them basically back to back to back uh, i think made all of them really potent and yeah i just it was really, really good, and I'm. I regret that we did not talk about it for the past two weeks. Um, so, how did you feel about uh, these these trio of episodes that we missed? And yeah, how are you? How, how did you feel? I absolutely agree. It builds so well. The the pacing when you watch them like in a row when you binge them. Yeah, yeah, it's really effective and it builds really nicely. Now, yes, Charlie's talk with Darla does not make her look good. Though I do appreciate that they don't have her say, it's fine, and just passive aggressively, you know. I appreciate that they do have her, you know, say it's not okay, and she doesn't know if she can trust Darla, and that's different. She's completely being unreasonable at this point. Yeah, but surely that was not her responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, and you're putting her in an impossible position. However, yes, in that one instance, Charlie was ridiculous but ralph angel is the worst yes oh my god are you kidding me like he's like i could just run a farm better than my dad who ran a farm his whole life and still couldn't break even with this place but like i've been farming for like months guys like i can run a farm 
and also be a co-parent and also get a part-time job and like it's insane like i was expecting charlie to react in a way that kind of pushed tensions further but i think that the way they handled it the way they chose to have each person react was much more interesting where she's upset but she's absolutely level-headed in that scene she's very practical and she's not like she's doing the charlie thing where she doesn't respond get like the full emotional response she has some of it but she also then has a very clear level-headed practical business response as well um normally when we've seen that from her it's also been tinged with a lot of bitterness because of it's been davis related but like here i thought that she had actually for charlie a kind and generous and very thoughtful like it's because they talk about her being thoughtful um but a very considerate and um compassionate response and 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 then when when the next episode wrap up is like oh but like they won't return my calls and like i still need a job from charlie and i don't have enough money to pay for the farm it's like well maybe you shouldn't have opened your big stupid mouth and said that like when vi gave him that dressing down i was just living it um all of this I totally buy Ralph Angel doing because um, he has this he just he has a very well-established track record on the show of being right. so self-centered um, in some ways he's very selfless but in others he just doesn't get it and he won't listen so right when, it's like with Darla right and it's like Darla especially but like with the farm and everything it's so driven by this sense of needing to prove himself but yeah. also this sense of like pride and particularly like in in the show in which this these elements of masculinity sort of like ebb and flow depending on how often davis shows up yeah um like ralph angel is our centered mask of the center of like masculinity turmoil on the show and it's so driven by that as well of like needing to provide for a family needing to carry on my father's legacy all this sort of patriarchal stuff Mm -hmm. and it's all embedded in his understanding of what he needs to do and what he feels that he needs to do. So yes, he's very much the worst, but I mean, it's one of those rare instances where I just kind of want everyone to go systemically. This is why he feels this way. And, but it's also really compelling in a lot of ways as well for me. And I, I just, I'm captivated by a lot of it, even as I just go, you're so bad, Ralph Angel. Just understand that you're not thinking all the way clearly here and your pride's getting in the way and your pride's going to destroy you and your family. You're just being a whiny little baby man. You're just <laughs> like you're you're just like throwing a tantrum, making it all about you. And like you get like one of those, maybe two of those, you know? But you don't get to keep doing that. And when he was like, I don't know why you can't support me um, to to Darla by her not wanting to move in immediately because it would un you know make her unstable, um, and then he gets the no you have to come here even if it costs even though it's going to cost you your job, then he did that pulled that card again and now he's pulling it again at least a couple times in this episode because we see it with in these three episodes we see it you know with it's like the truth is the most important thing and I I'm not lying anymore it's like you weren't lying by not telling them about this letter that's not lying it's a different it's totally unrelated you just wanted a reason and and an excuse to pull this out can make everything about you um and then you also get 
him the proposal with Darla was really sweet. I kept waiting for him to say, if you think you can handle it, if you're ready and if it's not going to, if it's going to, if it's not going to hurt your recovery. Yeah. But that never has, comes. Right. It doesn't because he has this like weird breakthrough at her getting her, um, two year sobriety chip. Mm-hmm. Um, has it really been two years? Was like my other question I had and I yeah. couldn't quite sort out. I couldn't quite remember her timeline from season one. Um, yeah. well enough to go has it been two years um mm-hmm. <laughs> it hasn't and like or, or like consciousness of like the show's timeline yeah. but um no he has that kind of breakthrough at the sobriety chip um ceremony and he's just like oh right all this is really important and i can be there to support that but yeah no i kept waiting for like the acknowledgement of the consideration of this is what you need sort of a situation. Um, and that doesn't really come through, but I, it speaks the fact of how Darla's sort of being bounced around, I think really speaks to that. The show's figured her out in a lot of ways and her value to the show has really just like totally skyrocketed. And like we sort of discussed before we went on our little hiatus of like how integrating her into Charlie's story suddenly gives her a much stronger, um, arc and helps, sort of really clarify a lot of her sobriety journey type stuff, which I think is really important. And we've talked about like this with, in regards to elementary mm-hmm. um, and sh- demonstrating that and dramatizing that is just like really significant. Yeah. And I like that we have gotten only a few scenes of her at work, um, yeah. but we have gotten to see her being good at her job too, which yeah. I appreciated. Oh, and that reminds me, we also have gotten to see more whiny, useless Ralph Angels. Like, she's got you wearing your clothes now. Like, oh, like, God. The, the, Come on, she, dude. She couldn't get any job at all. And then because you pressured her into making a choice that she made, it's her choice, but that cost her her job. Uh, and so then your sister was the only person who even would hire her and cross like a boundary of like family, whatever to do. And then you're going to just bitch at her for taking the only job you like. And he keeps doing it. Ah, it's like, I hate him so much. Like, and the performer is really good, which, right. Which is why I, I'm I'm watching this being like, you're an asshole and you're an idiot. And at least you're a very good actor. And the, the whole thing, I make sense for the character and it, it adds an interesting dynamic and then you'll do something that is, you know, more interesting or, or you know, a more positive moment or, or something like that that makes you not completely useless. But, like, I, it's a very consistently written character, I guess, is yes, what I'll say. And, like, <laughs> yeah, God, like, man, freaking Ralph Angel. Uh, anything else on Ralph Angel or – can we talk Nova? Yeah, no, let's absolutely talk about Nova. Um, because, again, like, her reaction to this letter is much more aggressive and yeah, much angrier it. than I was expecting it to be. But I really, really liked it as well. Like, um, mainly because it let Rutina Wesley just really, like, get in there. Which mm-hmm. the show doesn't really allow her to do a whole, whole lot. But, like, this trio of episodes just lets her find some really great stuff to play. And, yeah, and I, I'm still sort of, like trying to suss out where a lot of that anger was coming at from. And I don't know if it was just like her, the feeling of like the, the fact that this family had sort of like found some sense of tranquility and she was feeling comfortable with it. And now Ralph Angel is here just going like, no, 
no, the song's about me. And her <laughs> not being there for that and being really upset that he's doing this when everything's sort of working really well. Mm-hmm. Or if this was just, and what do you think is like motivating a lot of it? And I may have missed something as well in yeah. watching these couple of episodes and how she's responding to it since her role with the farm and the mill is fairly ancillary. Yeah, I, I, I really liked that strong response. First of all, because like you said, Routine Leslie's really good at it. Um, Lady can play fierce and angry really, really well. And that's the kind of thing that Nova doesn't get to. She gets indignant. Yes. But she doesn't get to be like, Lady's going to cut you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very much. Um, and Leslie's very good at that. Um, we've got to enjoy that on True Blood a bit with Tara. Um, but... Um, I liked that there that she had such a strong response and that it was a surprise maybe even to her mm-hmm. how much it meant to her. Um, and certainly I don't think anybody else would have expected it to mean so much. Uh, I thought that the stuff they gave her and Vi worked really well with that. Uh, I loved the stuff we got with, with, with Vi and Charlie. I thought that was mm-hmm. really interesting, interesting. But this idea of like this tension between Nova and her dad, uh, you know, with Nova being a queer woman who's not interested, it seems, in having kids, um, I liked that they that came up for the first time. That's the first time that's become text yeah. on the show. Like that particular, like there being a distinct reason that she wasn't around much at the very yeah. beginning of the first season. You know, like the, the series. Um, and I liked that it, that they that they did make that text because I think it made sense for for Vi to be questioning that and to bring it up. I think that, um, I thought thought the answers that they gave made sense and was affecting. And I think it spoke to the, one of the things the show does so well, like there's a lot of really clear themes and stuff that you can see coming a mile away. And the, the, the enjoyment is in the execution, but I think they also do a really good job at pulling at some of these, smaller threads and that are simmering underneath and letting them lie for a while and then coming up bubbling up to the surface and um her like there the notion of there's being tension between these siblings we've seen that since the very first episode but between the the kids and their dad is something we've never really gotten to see because of where the story picks up um so i liked that they included that and i thought it was really powerful yeah, it absolutely is. And like piling on the fact that they didn't know that he was working as a janitor, which is something I'd completely forgotten about. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like we had seen like a little bit of that. Yeah, um, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but like I had also kind of forgotten that no one else knew. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it, it, it was a good way to bring Ernest back into yeah. the fold, not only like through the will, but through the fact that he was doing this to keep this farm alive. And it put into, like, context of, like, Ralph Angel's whole, I'll get a part-time job and all this sort of stuff. And it all ended up, like, connecting really, really nicely to finish off this season. Well, half of the season. And it was just, it's so, it's really, really good. It's really, really good. It's, like, all I can keep saying is, like, I'm kind of just knocked over by how really tight these three episodes ended up being um, Mm -hmm. from, like, a larger serial, serial and character development place. Yeah. Um, still loving Nova and her love interest and the super creepy uh, racist eugenics oh, guy. God. That, yeah. that, oh, God, that dinner. I, like, as soon as we came into the dinner party, I just went, oh, this is going to be bad. 
Yeah, they're the only bad. people of color there, aren't they? Hmm. Yeah, hmm. this is going to be bad. And <laughs> even his like justification for it of like, oh, I needed to play the game. And it just went, oh, sweetie. Yes, but that's not going to fly with no. <laughs> that's not going to, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, that's right. You get your, your butt to, El, to, to Nola to, to apologize or to, to like work things out in person. Like, yes. yes. Um, we're invested in this relationship. We need you to stick around. So that was a good move on your part yeah. so that you can stick around. Um, and then we should talk a bit about, um, you know, the, my prognostication skills and the <laughs> other big thing revealed in this episode, which was, you know, what exactly went down in that cop car. Uh, any thoughts? Right. Well, I, I want to split hairs because we kept thinking something happened in holding. Yeah. And but it wasn't. Nothing, I was wrong on that. It wasn't in yeah. holding, but no, something actually did happen is that, uh, Micah was traumatized and abused and, Beaten? It wasn't like beaten, but definitely like psychologically, psychologically abused. Um, with the arresting officer, um, putting an empty gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger. Oh, fun times! Yay! Um, yay! Type of thing. So we get all of that like play. We finally get that confirmed as like a really good um way to not like have it be like physically abusive and having mm-hmm. this be much having deeper scars that he can't talk about and refuses to talk about. Yeah. And maybe Nova knows possibly maybe, or at least understands that something happened, but is sort of maybe talking it up just to him going through the system as a black kid. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really appreciated that it was just like, this all comes out to Davis in a lot of ways, but also that we get it played off by him being outside of the school and, them making a very conscious decision to stay and make sure that the arrest that they're witnessing outside of the school goes down without any problems, even to the point of like the oblivious point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> student just being like, we're going to go ahead to the movies. You guys want to come with us? Uh, no, we're, we're, we're just going to hang out here for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. see, see you guys later. And so that all of that kind of coming to the surface and then, coupled with him finding out that Davis is again lying and just blowing up at this woman who's in that restaurant and that feels like overly manufactured for everything else that this this particular episode had done to have that was just like uh, guys you're forcing this a little bit to get to this point mm-hmm. um but it all works in part because of the guy who plays Micah is very very good at that in that last sequence and yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's really good. And yes, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I think that they built to this well in the yeah. episode. They let it lie dormant long enough mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I thought was appropriate um, to let him stew slash deal with it enough that he was yeah. ready to talk about it with some prodding. I liked that we do get to see Davis for all the shitty parenting he's done. In this moment, he is a very good father, um, and he helps his kid to be able to talk about it. Um, and I thought that, like, that just the way that this all came together, and I love that it was with Davis and not with Nova and not with Charlie. It was, yeah. you know, again, the way that they do keep taking advantage of the storyline potential of a young kid with, who's grown up very sheltered, all of a sudden, like, we've you had mentioned previously discovering oh you're black in america and that means certain things when you aren't in a very completely sheltered 
L.A. rich kid bubble. Um, and he's still very sheltered, all things considered. But, um, you know, he got a little taste of what that can mean. And um, the writing for that and, the, like you said, the performance from, from the young actor was terrific, I thought, in that scene. Um, it all came together very, very nicely. And, and it, when we watched them watch the arrests, that's the kind of scene I can't think of another show doing. Right. And that's the kind of scene, if you want to have your show impacted by stuff like the Black Lives Matter movement, these are the kind of scenes you should should be including, as opposed to the (laughs) interesting takes we've seen um, more, you know, very well-meaning, but very, uh, very white shows as far as point of view, intended audience and writer's room. So we're talking about you, the good wife. And Unreal, too. Yeah. Don't forget Unreal. Oh, God. No, I had forgotten Unreal. Why are you bringing up Unreal, Kate? Yep. I yep. repressed all of that. I repressed season two entirely, and now it's all coming back to me. And yep. I'm going to need you to pay for my bill, my psychology bills, for, like, the next month or so. Yeah. Thanks. That's so, all but, on but, you. <laughs> but these, these scenes in Queen Sugar are a tonic to that, is what I'm saying. Right. And yes. it should surprise no one, <laughs> based on the show's uh, excellent track record. Um, yeah, it's been a terrific half season, and this is again another one of those shows. Like I, I've seen a few different like best shows of the year so far kind of list pop up over the course of July. It's interesting how those shows are full of <laughs> those lists are full of shows about white antiheroes, and none of them have Queen Sugar on them. Um, these are from white critics, uh, and these are from critics um, who I mean, there's it's peak TV. It's hashtag peak TV. We've talked about this. Um, there is too much TV. We cannot all watch it all. And we cannot all watch even like most of it. So there's a lot of of people who are meeting to catch up with different shows. However, if you are the kind of person who listens to this podcast, that means you are the kind of person who likes to try to see a variety of things and or a variety of the most interesting um, TV out there. If you are not watching Queen Sugar, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you are. And like, I vaguely remember being, I've only seen like, I want to say like one best of so far list. Um, and I, we sort of discussed it off air once um, <laughs> to which I promptly went, this list doesn't make any sense to me, um, except for like two of these shows. The rest of them do not make any sense, Kate. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen any other ones since then. Uh, but um, please please send those along to me so I can look at them and be all judgy about them and feel superior in my um, type of thing. Um, but now <laughs> I want to like sit down in like an air conditioned space and work on my top list so far. Um, oh, I may have to do that over the weekend. Yeah. And again, in the air conditioned space. Yeah. In the library. Of Go get a smoothie. Yeah. Well, I'm not allowed to bring anything into the library. I can't bring food or drink into the library. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have the libraries by us have like designated spaces where you can right. have the. They have an overpriced coffee shop in in like the library ah. that I don't like to go to because it's really overpriced. overpriced. Yeah, touche. Yeah. We are talking about overpriced coffee beverages. It's time to wrap up the the chunk <laughs> ah. uh, of the show here. Uh, what wins your weekend drama and genre? Ah, uh, that's a great question. It's not a great question. It's a really easy answer. No, it's Queen Sugar. Yeah. Um, past three episodes basically is what wins it uh mm-hmm. but yeah no it's queen sugar i'm yeah, assuming it's, it's the same for you terrific terrific end to the this half season and like 
there isn't a single moment as powerful for me as the season one reveal of where the history of right. the Landry's versus the Bordelons, like, like nothing has yeah. had quite that power, but it's still been really well done and really compelling television. So yeah, definitely Queen Sugar. Now we'll take a break and come back with our summer catch up on the Detectorists and Killjoys season one. Be right back after this. Intrepid heroes. Saxon Horde, basically the Holy Grail of treasure hunting. Well, no, the Holy Grail is the Holy Grail of treasure hunting. Fierce rivalry. Make Farmer Bishop more attractive proposition. Who are you, a Bond villain? And startling discoveries. What you got? 83 ring pull. Enter the heart-stopping world of metal detecting. That's two matchbox cars and, it's, well, it's a spoon. Detectorists starts Thursday, 2nd of October on BBC4 and BBC4 HD. We offer one simple service to all of our clients. Our agents are guided by one principle, one code. What is that code? The warrant is all. You are locked and served. We will cross contested jurisdictions. Find who or what you're looking for and bring it back to you in the condition requested. I need this done cleanly and quietly. My eyes are up here. Level four warrants are live or dead, right? Yep. Dead it is. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week, we wanted to catch up on a couple series uh, that we've been meaning to talk about for a while. Um, certainly one we've been meaning to do for quite a while. Uh, we and, and we thought it's it's a little bit of a lighter time of the year. Um, not so many new shows, at least, that we're super interested in. Let's catch up with The Detectorists, which is a British comedy. Uh, and let's ca- and I wanted to catch up with Killjoys because it's been all over my feed. Because I feel like because of the proximity to Winona Earp, there's a lot of overlap in the audience space there. And obviously, y'all know I love Winona Earp. So um, Detectorists is one that's been on our radar for quite a while because <laughs> friend of the show fabulous listener carl is a big fan of it and has been poking us to check it out for like at least two years yeah i don't know how long he's for you but i mean it's been at least as long as i've been on yeah so so carl we we watched the first season of the detectorist and uh so here's the thing carl it's fine it's just not my show um, and I love that you love it, and I wish that I loved it as much as you do, but I just, I, it's, it's just, it's fine. I needed it to be funnier, or I needed it to be faster moving, or I needed it to be shorter. Um, that's sort of where I'm at, like, each episode. That's sort of where I'm at with the Detectorist, and I look forward to a email telling me why I'm wrong carl noel did you have a similar response or are you team carl on this one i want carl to like me more than he likes you <laughs> it's really important to my self-esteem that carl likes me more than he likes you uh so i understand everything that you just said and i actually do not disagree with you in a lot of ways but i still think i liked this a fair bit more than you did like i saw a lot of these things as features not bugs mm-hmm 
Um, like my biggest hang up, and I tweeted this, I texted this to you, is that I would have really liked the show to stop using the theme song for all the music. <laughs> <laughs> it, it started to drive me a little wild that it was just like incidental music needed. Well, let's just use the theme song. We paid enough for it. it was kind of the vibe I got. Um, so that kept when that kept cropping up, that was like kind of my big. Arr. But I, I liked how quiet it was. I liked how sort of funny but not funny it was and i liked how sort of like evenly paced it was in a lot of ways um so i i, I actually kind of I, I i liked it much more than you did i think okay um even if i felt like a lot of the show's sort of like overarching premise slash narrative slash thematic ideas are all really ham-fisted and mm -hmm. a hey we're we're aimlessly searching for meaning but it's right under our noses in our relationships with one another and with our significant others. And it's just like, I see what you're doing show. I figured it out like an episode and a half in, <laughs> <laughs> but it helped that like Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones and particularly Rachel Sterling, um, Earl who plays, um, um, Crook's, uh, girlfriend slash, um, fiance by the end or fiance by the end, um, of the first season, are all really, really good for me. And uh, again, particularly Sterling in particular is just really, really, really good. I really enjoyed her performance as Becky. But yeah, it was just like, I, I get what you're going for, show. I understand this. And, but maybe just dial back on it just a little bit. Um, <laughs> but no, so I, I think I liked it more than you did. And I, I, I sort of liked, and again, like this idea of like finding finding like your treasure with one in a, amongst yourselves as opposed to in the ground is heavily reinforced by the end and that last shot in the finale of like they're right on top of the ship in fact there's a whole outline of the ship if maybe if they just had paid better attention to google earth <laughs> less <laughs> obstructed by watermarks <laughs> right less obstructed by watermarks which is i think legitimately the funniest joke in the first season mm -hmm. is the watermark joke and the acknowledgement of I've done it before too. And it's just like, <laughs> I really liked that. I thought that was really funny and just like other little bits um, of it. But yeah. So tell me more about like your journey through the show. Cause I, I kind of just hit a bunch of stuff. Um, but how did you feel? Like I think for me, like a lot of the dead weight came from Maggie mm -hmm. and her pizza hut boyfriend um as much as i sort of enjoyed them at the pub quiz section <laughs> well you know i will um, always love a pub quiz section right and it's a very good pub quiz section yeah. it is yeah. um but yeah how did you feel about it i just i wish i had something more distinct to point to because i don't it yeah. just it's a half hour show that for me feels like an hour show and that's not what you want um so because I, I really enjoy this cast um uh, everybody that i've seen before from which is like there's a lot of people in this cast that have been like popped up in all of the tv which i feel like happens a lot on bbc maybe that's just me but um but i can't like it i just kept wanting more from it and maybe i am bringing too many expectations into it after he hearing it hyped up for so many years and that's on Carl, me your your hype was too good man too many too good a hype man. no but like uh, you know like there's a lot to really enjoy in just Mackenzie crook and toby jones just kind of screwing around you know like yeah that's always going to be fun but i i just kept wanting more 
I was like, okay, and then, and there isn't an and then. And it's interesting to me that, that I love so much about the show looking, which is people just hanging out. Like there's like, it's just, it's so, it's such just a chill show. Um, that it's interesting to me that I wasn't as willing to go with Detectorist in the same kind of way. Um, but I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe I just need to like give it another shot. Watch the second. I mean, there's only, there's only two seasons right now. They're filming the third series right now. So there will be all of like 20 episodes, including a Christmas special. By the time this finishes out, I've got 20 half hours, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't, I don't really have a specific thing to point to. Cause like each like part of it, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But for me, it didn't come into a greater hole where I was like, I can't wait to champion the show. I went into the show, listeners, Carl, wanting to champion it. And then just didn't, I, just, I don't know, I just didn't connect to it. So I can't, I, I'm, my words as, as a critic in a podcast where they're failing me because I don't have a specific thing to point to. And I, I sort of feel like it's kind of baked into the show a little bit in terms of it's so low-key and quiet mm-hmm. that pointing to something in particular, especially when it's as generally well-constructed as it is. Yeah, it's well-made, like, you know, yeah. It's just an issue of engagement and clicking for you in a lot of ways. Um, and I, under, I, I, I totally understand that because, like, I even sort of felt like that, like, again, halfway in, not halfway, but, like, an episode and a half in, I was just sort of like, okay, I I really just needed to find rhythms, I think, for the show. Mm-hmm. And I think I found them really quickly. And I found things to, like, latch onto, again, like Sterling's performance, but also just, like, again, going to something that I thought was really, really funny, funny was just the fact that the Simon and Garfunkel stuff kept recurring <laughs> and then that his name was actually Paul. Yeah. Um, just tickled me to no end and I appreciated the fact that they didn't immediately call attention to the fact that his name was Paul they waited like a solid like two minutes yeah. to circle back to the fact that his name's actually Paul and I just went oh thank god it's so good <laughs> um, so no I I, I, I enjoyed it um, the degree to which I'm going to hurry to watch season two is sort of like in question I think mm-hmm. in terms of like Voltron season three came out today and i have not had time to watch any of it mm-hmm. and i don't know when i'm going to have time to watch any of it kate because <laughs> um, i have so much other stuff i need to watch this month yeah um that i was just like oh but 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 so i i, I really I, I enjoyed this i think more than you did um but i do not begrudge you or you do not understand your whole uh, I, I wanted to like it more type yeah. of type of thing because i i get that i really get that with this show in particular and that it didn't stir in a huge degree of passion for me either but i just i I ended up just liking it more than you did fair enough well i have a feeling we're gonna be on the opposite sides then of this next one which is killjoy season one and that's one that i watched the premiere when it came out and went oh it's this not good (laughs) um and then especially this year i feel like as um, when on Earth is finding a bigger audience and there's a lot of crossover in the fan base. Um, I'm seeing a lot more discussion of Killjoys as a show that, you know, anybody who likes people on spaceships being quippy, <laughs> which is me, uh, 
that you should check out. And it's something that I know friends of the show, um, Orion and, and Ryan McGee have been championing for, you know, the first couple seasons as well. They're on season three right now. Um, but for me, I watched that first episode and I was like, okay, I'm down for the Dutch and John show. I do not care about Davin. Ugh, don't want to watch the will they won't they and like then ugh. can we just have the corners of these this corner of the show and just ignore that other thing and not have all the baggage for that like i was just watching it and seeing all all of these elements that could be fun but didn't come together enough for me in the first episode i went back and watched the rest of the first season now a couple years later and i still have those same problems with the show but i found myself because I was watching it in a like passively, where I was also doing other stuff, and if, as long as I like, kept clicking through, and by the end of the first season, I was much more on board. Uh, I still really like the the Dutch and John characters. Davin, I'm much more okay with by the end of the first season. I'm much more interested in because, but I think my main thing that I enjoy about the show is the world building that they do. Um, there's a care to the creation of the quad and these different, the planets and moons, uh, planet and moons, um, that I really appreciate. I loved that the deep, dark secrets are like out in the open by the midpoint of the season. Certain they're like wrapped up. This Davin's damage is like dealt with like a third of the way through the first season and you're good to go at least unless there's new damage. But I, I really appreciated it has some of the same strengths as Winona Earp as far as taking very familiar approaches to, you know, space adventure shows. Um, and then what twist are they going to do on it? Like we've all seen these kinds of episodes before. What is their take going to be? And while this for me is not as successful or as original as I would like, again, it's fun enough. And there are like, I can see it making the less annoying choice, (laughs) Enough that that I'm, I'll likely stick with it and watch the second season, catch up with the second season, and then try to catch up by the end of the third season, uh, so I can watch the end of the season real time. Uh, so I think I have a feeling I'm more positive on this than than you are because I had only seen the first episode, and then just had gotten away from it, never bothered to get back. You actually gave it a much more legit try, a while back. What, what did you think of this first season? How much of the season did you actually get through? Because I told you to stop if you weren't liking it. Yeah, no, I watched all of it. Um, <laughs> of course you did. You know better. You should know by now, okay? Yeah, I should. <laughs> I mean, I know me. I should know, you know, the the ways in which we overlap in our viewing. Uh, right. So, so what, what did you think? Right, so I sampled this back in 2015 when it first started. Um, so I did four episodes. I did the first four episodes mm-hmm. um, and then bailed. Um, so I got up to Vessels is where I stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because like as I was watching Vessels, um, I just kept going, I remember this scene and then going, I'm not remembering the rest of the episode uh-huh. and going, so I did watch this one. <laughs> was basically how I went. And then, like, episode five is much more distinct, I think, than the, anything prior to that. And I just went, I did not watch this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, so I, I I didn't like the pilot very much. And I did not like the rest of the other, like, three episodes that followed it, which is why I stopped watching after the fourth episode. And that's, um, like, that's four episodes. That's a very legit tryout right. show. 
Yeah. Yeah. Especially for like a 10 episode show. It's like, I'm stopping right before the halfway mark of what is a slow, not slow, but slow ish build serialized Mm -hmm. show, but is very self-contained. Um, and a lot of it boiled down to the fact that a lot of, especially like within the first three episodes, there's an intense amount of really bad exposition talk of needing to explain everything over Mm -hmm. and over again. I just went, Oh gee, I wonder if those things that they say are explosive are going to come back at the end of the episode. And Hey, guess what they do, but we needed to explain it real quick because we, you don't know what this is audience. And I just went, Oh, so I, I was, I, I, when you were just like, we should watch killjoys. I just went, but I was really bored by it. Uh, (laughs) I believe when I said this, I will watch Killjoys, or I already watched Killjoys. Right, you you had already watched it, and I was just like, well, and I almost told you, I was just like, well, maybe I'll just discuss Agents of Shield instead. But I was just like, yeah. no, I want to have a conversation with you. Okay, and so that's and what it, that's. Feel free to ahead. sign that, by the way. Yeah, Turnabout's no, fair not, play. Turnabout is fair play, but this was ten episodes. It's like twenty four. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's that is not fair by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I watched the rest of this, and I basically stayed in the same place of mm-hmm. agreeing with you in that I really liked all the Dutch and John stuff in terms of I like both of those performances. I think this is the most I've ever liked Aaron Ashmore in anything. Yeah. Um, and I think he's very good in this. Um, I think Hannah John um, Kamen is very good as Dutch. But a lot of it just feels very flat for me. And mm. like um, a lot of this also ended up coming to me going like, but I have Cowboy Bebop on Blu-ray. <laughs> and it's right there. All I have to do is get off the couch and put it into the PlayStation. And I can watch a lot of like the same sort of bounty hunters in space stuff very differently. And even, but even also keep the whole lead character that has a shadowy past that's related to a guy with white hair. Mm-hmm. Like down to that yeah. is uh, like, I was just like, oh, I could just do all of that as well. <laughs> and I was just so, I was, just, and there's not a, mysterious girl somewhere off um, in this case in the case of the box yeah yeah there's no girl in the box which is outlaw star slash firefly Mm -hmm. but um so i was just going like but there's other things i could watch that kind of do this as well that i know i enjoy but this is all like for me it's fine at least within this first season i would not be surprised at all if it like finds like new gears Mm -hmm. basically but for me a lot of it just boiled down to the fact that all the discussion of world building that you sort of mentioned i just kind of never absorbed in a lot of ways um and i kept like wanting to and part of this is like me not paying as close attention as i should have i freely acknowledge that but going like i'm i'm kind of interested in this whole generation and getting out and going to different places. I like this concept. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about Dutch's past even remotely. Yeah. And the, her whole training in a harem of assassins, I think is what it was going for. And where all of that was circulating. And so I really struggled to engage with any of it, but I've been talking for a few minutes. Um, I, I think my question is then how did you feel about like, especially considering how, much to the forefront it comes back 
um, at the end. How did you feel since it gets introduced in episode five and then tease a little bit right at the end and then it's just like big right at very end with the Red 17 stuff. Mm -hmm. um, since that was like a little bit of to me fairly solid seed planning that they introduced in that fifth episode which I think for me was probably the strongest in that it was just so contained and so about their dynamics and there was just this one other guy mm -hmm. um, around. Um, I think that was probably my favorite of them but i'd also have to like go back and like look a little bit more closely but i think that was my favorite um how did you feel about how that kind of like came to the surface did you expect it to come back i'm assuming you did just because it was a lingering thread from that episode mm -hmm. no the um i did not expect red 17 to come back because uh, it felt like appropriately like a phlebotinum and MacGuffin kind of like sure. you know the way this used in the fifth episode at least it felt you know, it doesn't matter what this is. It doesn't ever need to come back. Um, I did like, you know, for me, the world building with like, like Waverly, is it Waverly? No, what is the, the, it's Leaf, right? And yeah, Leaf. Leaf. And, and what are the other planets? Um, um, it's called the quad, but like right. in the, the J star cluster, just say quad. You're fine. <laughs> but like this, this sense of the, uh, the main planet and then the rich place uh, westerly that's not waverly westerly um okay. westerly and and leith and and then the um everybody's trying to get off the one to get to the other and then there's the overall planet and then there's this rock that nobody actually lives on like the i thought that by the time you get to the end and they're gonna do to you know our sort of our hub what has been done to the sugar, whatever it's called, <laughs> that one other <laughs> sugar L point planet, sugar point, yeah, sugar point, which um, I think is, I still think that's leaf. Um, no, leaf. no, it's not the planet, um, it's just that district, okay. it's the area. Oh, just that district, okay, yeah. Like, I thought that that was really effective and it, like it had a lot of weight. It's like they're gonna do here what they did in sugar point. It's like, you know, granted, I was binging these over the course of a few days, but so it was fresh in my memory, but I was like, that's not the kind of tight world building and referencing that I expect from a show like this in its first season. So I really appreciated that. I liked that the, I thought they seeded the whole level six thing well enough. I mean, yeah, it's as soon as you realize that that's the thing they're going to do, it's like, Oh, okay. That's pretty obvious. But I did not expect Duchess past to the, the, the her trainer or whatever to tie in with all of that. So I thought that the, the, Again, maybe it's because I was going in with lowered expectations. Maybe it's because um, there are a lot stupider ways I could have gone about it, you know, that would have still been campy and fun and been fine. And maybe because the 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 answer to Davin's issues, like his memory and his killing his squad or whatever, which was some real intense, legit trauma for him to go through, was a one-off. Like, that has not come back at least in the first season the attack to take over someone and you know have them kill a bunch of people and then and then rescind control like yes red 17 comes back but that doesn't come back yeah. um and so so yet yet mm. <laughs> but but i thought that the then that points towards Dutch's issues potentially also being something that is unrelated that that can be resolved and then go back and clearly that's not what is going to happen um, after watching more of the, of the show. But um, that's what, so that's why the reveal that um, 
oh man, what is it? It's spelled idiotically. Klein. That Klein is, uh, it is on the rack. So idiotically. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Klein is on the rack and everything like that. I thought was effective. Um, but I, I do strain to care about Klein. Um, my fa- my favorite episodes are ones that don't involve him at all. Yeah. Um, and for me, this is a show that I can have fun with, but it does definitely benefit from there not being, at least in the first season, there not being a better version of this show on the air right now. Right. So, and yeah. It, Bebop like, is premier- a better version of this show. Right, and it, pre- it it um premiered alongside Dark Matter on Sci-Fi, like they were a yeah. unit. Um, and Dark Matter is also another show that a lot of people I know really liked, especially in its first season. I don't know how people feel about it now. Um, that I was also really lukewarm about, mm-hmm. even if like a lot of what Dark Matter had going for it, I also kind of went. This is a slightly more interesting concept than what I'm getting in Killjoys, but I don't like it enough enough to yeah. fully engage. Plus. Dark Matter wears, does a much less good job of hiding its budget um, <laughs> than Killjoys does. Killjoys is, makes a lot, does a lot with what I'm presuming is very little, whereas Dark Matter, there's one episode in Dark Matter where I just went, wow, this is, this is, this, this is, this is Canadian TV money and not doing a good job of like yeah. making the most of it type of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas Killjoys, I think, does a generally really good job of making the most with its location shooting and with its uh, budget overall. Because um, oh, where does this air in Canada? I forget what channel. Um, space. I don't. Space is the TV channel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about space. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it premiered alongside that. And I think it, comparing the two was like really easy to do in 2015. And I don't know how true that is now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I, I think I stuck around with both shows for the same amount of time and then just left. Mm-hmm. Um, but both had misfits in space doing things. Yeah. And Killjoys, I think, is more fun than Dark Matter was, um, if I'm remembering. Certainly, like the, certainly, I think Killjoys was a funner show than Dark Matter was. But yeah. I do agree that the show benefits, like you said, from there not being something else on TV that does this yeah. very specific thing. Yeah, and I will always be there for Misfits in Space doing fun things like that's that is again i'm in the middle of that venn diagram people who like misfits in spaceships doing things <laughs> like like heists and crimes and and catching bad guys and like i'm gonna enjoy this stuff this is a kind of show that i will really like but i will say the the only question i have about about it or the th- maybe the thing that's holding me back from liking it more yeah. is that it feels while it's super fun, and I do very much enjoy characters like John, John and Dutch, and even by the end of the first season, I'm good with Devin, um, and some of the choices they make to have them um, be very resilient and to to need and, and care about their team, but to also not need to be rescued and saved. Like, they, they avoid some of the pitfalls that maybe um, other shows would fall into with that. The show does feel very derivative to me of other shows but the shows that 
it calls to mind for me are already <laughs> derivative of other things, you know, like already feel like pastiches, already feel like send ups of the genre. And so it's at a certain point, it starts to feel too much. And I have, I'm, I, I, I hope I don't get to a point of having this problem with Winona Earp, but it could happen. I could see it happening. Um, the idea of a copy of a copy of a copy um, with not enough new ideas thrown in. Um, so one season into Killjoys, that's a bit of a concern for me. Um, hopefully, I, I do intend to watch more. That fear will be allayed. Uh, based on the responses I see, I would assume that's the case. But that's, I think, a little bit of a concern when such a... Ha- like, something like Cowboy Bebop or Firefly is a really strong influence here. And I just, you know, maybe and maybe this is the experience that people had watching Firefly for the first time, you know. Maybe I'm just in a different position as a viewer now. Yeah, and that, that's entirely a possibility. Like, when you were talking about, like, derivative natures of stuff, it's just like Cowboy Bebop and i mean you've discussed this on the show before yeah is like it's very much a pastiche in any number of ways but that's it's sort of modus operandi is that it's this postmodern sort of genre fusion of Mm -hmm. a lot of things but in space um and you and um yoko kano doing jazz Um, that score oh it's so good i love it so much it's one of the best of any tv show ever oh it's so good I have all the albums. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, like, in that instance, it's just, like, a woman who doesn't know her past, guy with a shadowy past. I mean, you've seen all these things before, but, like, mm-hmm. their execution makes it fresh and new, and the style makes it fresh and new. Mm-hmm. And th- that was sort of, like, where I kept running into and why I just kind of went just bored by a lot of what Killjoys does is because, apart from Dutch in particular, like, the show never pushes me in a way that I feel like this is something really new. Like as much as I like Dutch as a character and the performance and like, as soon as I'd like chop off her whole thing with uh, Klein, I just go, you're a really, you're, I like you mm-hmm. and I want to see you pushed into different fun directions type of thing. Yeah. But this Klein thing just keeps yanking you away yeah. from being really interesting. Um, <laughs> And that's, it was just like, this is boring. It was where I ended up is like, it's flat. I understand why people would engage with it. But for me, it's just like deeply just, I could not find a way in to be like, see a spark of a fresh idea type of thing Um, or a play on the execution. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need a reason for Dutch to be who she is like right. i don't need a backstory of how she got all these skills and how could she speak all these languages. like i don't care i just want to see her be a badass and that's yeah. why i respond more to the episodes where that gets to happen yeah 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 well uh glad then that we checked in on these um and i will carl i will watch the second season of detectors and hopefully i like it more and i will report back if i do um but thank you noel for catching up um it's a much bigger commitment to catch up with killjoys than to catch up with detectors (laughs) thank you for doing that um a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post up for this episode at theteleverse.org which is the website for the podcast you can leave a comment there and let us know what you thought of the detectorists and what you thought of the killjoys or think 
If you want to encourage us to watch more of them, let us know. You can also find us on Facebook, like the page, and start up a conversation there. You can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And you can also find us on Stitcher. We appreciate ratings and reviews in either place. It helps other people find the show. And then you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And thank you once more, Noel. And thank you, Carl. <laughs> thank you, all Yay, of our listeners. Carl. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.